Good morning, everyone. Wonderful to be able to be here and open up God's Word with you. A few weeks ago, I had a clock and a dollar up here, and I talked about how we are stressed out by the clock and the dollar. Today, though, it's all about the clock. A clock is running on the human race, and one day it will stop. The clock is running. Now, time is a unique commodity. It's often one that we waste. Do you know anyone who wastes time? Raise your hand if you know someone who's a time waster. We all waste time. Recently, Forbes magazine ran an article entitled, Employees Really Do Waste Time at Work. 64% of employees, it was found, visit non-work-related websites every day. They waste from 1 to 10 hours a week of their employer's time. That would be called stealing. They're on Tumblr, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat, among other places. Nowadays, we have access to, get this, more than two zettabytes of data worldwide. That would be two trillion gigabytes. This deluge of data has fostered an atmosphere of productivity loss as well as increased me-time entitlement. Some of you maybe even speak like this. Well, this is me-time. If you're one of those me-time people, you might want to start having some more Jesus time. You get some Jesus time going, you won't be so worked up about your me-time. We think we have all the time in the world, don't we? We think that if we just ignore it, that the clock really isn't running. We simply can just go on living life on an individualistic basis, but our days are numbered. I have a friend who actually has put mini M&Ms in a bag of all the days that he probably has left. And every day he just eats one of those M&Ms. Your days are numbered... The days are numbered on the human race. The clock is running. And it's been ticking, and it's closer now. If you're a believer, it's closer now than when we first believed. It is inevitable. It is unescapable. And today, we're finishing Malachi. Eight weeks in Malachi. We're in chapter 4. So please take your Bibles and turn to Malachi chapter 4. And we are going to see in these last six verses of Malachi a huge contrast between the righteous and the wicked at the end of time. In fact, this passage of Scripture deals with what will happen at the end of time. The first three verses. The last three verses is what do you do before the end of time. That's what we're going to look at today. If you're able, please stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to read Malachi 4. Verses 1 through 6. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, 
The sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. And you shall tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Oreb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction this is God's word pray with me please Lord God we thank you that you are here with us and we thank you for your word it is true it is without error it is from you and Lord these are sobering words that we read today Lord these are words that make us serious about life and death and eternity And I pray, Lord, that we would not miss your message for us today. That time is going to run out. And that there are some things we need to do before time runs out. Lord, I ask that you would have your way with us today. And that our hearts would be yielded to what you want. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The great and awesome day of the Lord. There is a day that is coming when time will be over. And by the way, we throw around these terms great and awesome as if they're just, you know, filler. Great and awesome. The, The word awesome here literally means terrifying. It's, it's a day that will terrify many. The great and awesome day of the Lord. We're in the book of Malachi. Malachi's name means my messenger. He is God's messenger. He was a prophet of God who prophesied during the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. He was a prophet that addressed the spiritual and moral decay of his time. What we're looking at today is verses 1 through 3 all about what will happen when time is up. Time has run out on the human race. And then verses 4 through 6, about the time before the end of time. What should we do before time runs out? But a clock is running, a clock is ticking. It's a lot like disaster preparedness. Some of you may be doomsday preppers, where you are prepping for doomsday, where you're storing things up. But let me just say this. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are trusting in His finished work on the cross and His shed blood, it should not be doomsday that you are preparing for. You should be preparing for eternity with Jesus. It's Hallelujah Day. It is Praise God Day. It is Jesus is Lord Day. It's not doomsday for believers. Ready or not, God is saying here is what will happen to the unprepared and here is what will happen to the prepared. Now we saw last Sunday that there was some bad stuff coming for for a lot of people. And there's some really good stuff coming for other people. 
But let's just review where we've been in Malachi so far. Called this series Objections Overruled, and you've got this court of law type of, of picture. And the idea is that God is appealing to his people to return to him and to repent and to be right with him. They, on the other hand, are disputing with him. They are arguing with him. They are coming back at him with with a lot of animosity. And so they say things like, how have you loved us? And God is saying, I have loved you in the past. I love you now. I will love you forever. They say, how have we despised your name? And they're coming back, and God is pointing out very clearly how they've done it. Their worship was wrong. Their hearts were wrong. Their families were wrong. Their giving was wrong. All the things they were doing wasn't what God wanted them to do. How have we turned aside from your way, they asked. Why are you not pleased with us, they asked. How have we wearied you, they asked. How have we robbed you? What we saw last week is that God hears and remembers everything perfectly. We forget, we don't remember But God's memory and God's hearing is perfect. And both the righteous and the wicked will not escape his notice. And God always has his remnant of people who fear him and esteem his name and serve him. And that is what came up last week, that there were people in Malachi's time that listened to what God said and said, we need to get in line with this. And God's assurance to them was, you are mine. You belong to me. I love you. You're my treasured possession. You're my jewels. And I'm going to spare you on that day. That great and awesome day of the Lord that is coming, you will be safe. You will be secure. You will be rescued. Now, some of you may read Malachi and think, wow, what's up with God? He is really in a bad mood. He seems so irritated. And what I've hoped that you would see as we've been through this book, verse by verse, is that in Malachi, you have a picture of God as the most loving and patient Heavenly Father. He doesn't just zap His people when they do wrong, but when they persist in sin. He's patient. He's loving. He's merciful. That's what I hope you have seen in Malachi. He is not outright rejecting his people. He is lovingly drawing them back in by his grace. He is overruling their objections to be sure, but he is doing so lovingly and mercifully so that they would be rescued by grace. God has revealed himself very clearly in the Bible, and especially in Malachi, we've seen he has revealed who he is through every chapter of this very short book. Chapter 1, he reveals himself as the sovereign Lord and loving Father and great King. Chapter 2, he, he speaks of himself as a powerful creator, the God of Israel, the God of justice. They're asking, where's the God of justice? And he says, I'm right here, and I'm just. In chapter 3, he reveals himself as the holy refiner and purifier of his people, the righteous judge, the patient Lord. And here in chapter 4, we see him as a coming conqueror, a coming king. Basically, God is giving a disaster preparedness seminar here in Malachi chapter 4. He spells it out. He says, here's what's going to happen. 
Here's how you can be prepared. He literally has given us an escape route. You can't go in a room nowadays, at least unless it's in your house, but you go to a public place, there are escape routes, emergency preparedness escape routes posted on the walls. There are three in this room. By the way, I'm going to go and look at this one. It's 10 feet away from me. I just time out for just a moment. I want to see what I'm supposed to do if something happens right now. Okay, the door works. Good. I'm going out this door. I'm not going that way because I'd have to beat you out the door. So I'm going this way if something happens. I just want you to know, okay? I'll try to take you with me, all right? But here's the deal. God is saying, here is the dotted red line. Follow that. That's how you're safe. You don't follow that line. You're on your own. And the clock is ticking. Let's look at verse 1. The events of this day of the Lord. Verses 1 through 3 really show us what will happen when that day comes, when time runs out. And verse verse 1, God says, Behold. If you were with us through Matthew's gospel, you know that behold is a big word in the New Testament. There's also a big word in the Old Testament. You know how sometimes people say, Lo and behold. Well, the reason why is because the Hebrew for behold means low. The idea is, lo and behold, this is what's going to happen. You need to listen to this. You need to really, really zero in on this. God says, behold, a day is coming. The day is coming. And it's burning like an oven. The day is said to be burning like an oven. Have you ever burned your hand? on an oven it's not fun you have to put on an oven mitt right and, and you just shouldn't do that but here's the thing this is not like your oven this is a furnace the closest thing i could come to is daniel's three friends who get thrown into a fiery furnace that gets you know heated up seven times hotter than usual and the, the guys throwing them in they get they get burned up too really raging fire furnace this is not your fireplace where you're like oh that's a cool fire we got going here this fire is designed to consume this fire is designed to to destroy burning like an oven a furnace it's hot it's fiery it's dangerous you need to exercise extreme caution And God says that this day that is like a burning oven will basically consume all the arrogant and all evildoers. So we need to know who the arrogant are. And we need to know who evildoers are because you don't want to be in that category. This is category one right here. You're you're in the line of fire. If you're in this category, you're going to be burned on that day. You're going to be consumed. God says that they will be like stubble. That's straw. You don't build a fire with with straw. It lasts a second. He says that I'm going to set them ablaze. He's going to torch them. They're highly flammable. It's like they're doused in flammable liquid and, and poof, they're going to go up in flames. God hears and remembers. He knows those who fear Him and those who do not. This is an end times 
reference. It's to the day of the Lord. It's spoken of elsewhere in Scripture. It appears four times in the closing verses of Malachi. And it points to the return of the Lord Jesus Christ in judgment. Burning like an oven. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. The New Testament talks about these things. 2 Peter chapter 3. Paul, excuse me, Peter is saying that he's reminding them of something they already know. It's good to be reminded of things you know. He says, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, verse 1, and that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. So remember what Malachi said. Remember what others said. And know this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. They're going to mock. Following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Well, ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. But they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. We're talking about the time of Noah. We're talking about the flood. We're talking about the time when the inclination of everyone's heart was only evil. And Peter says in verse 7, but the, by the same word, the word of God, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire. This is the burning fire that God is talking about in Malachi. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. So Peter goes on, he says, don't overlook this. With the Lord one day as, as a thousand years, a thousand years as one day, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient towards you. It's what we've been seeing all the way through Malachi. God is so patient. God is so loving and kind. It says that he, he doesn't wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. First, first and second Peter were written to the church, the elect. He's saying all, all those who are chosen are going to come to faith in Christ. We know that people reject Jesus. We know people are dying right now who have rejected Jesus. But only God knows those who are his. Only God knows those who truly receive him. And it says that he wants them to come to repentance. And then it says the day of the Lord, this day that's burning like an oven will come like a thief and that you don't know what moment it's coming you think you know but you don't know only god knows and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved there's the fire the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed so peter says look if you're a believer this is what's going to happen everything's going to get dissolved like this you should live a life of holiness and godliness you should be pleasing to Jesus. You should do what God wants by his power, trusting in him. He says, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. So you're looking forward to it because if you're a believer, you're looking forward to the day when time is done, when the, time, when the clock is up on the human race because you're looking forward to it because something good is going on for you. He says, since all these things are going to happen, wait for this coming day because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn but and this is the, the hope of believers according to his promise we are waiting 
for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So category one people are basically in the line of fire. You can also go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. The idea is that this day, the day of the Lord, is a good day. This day of the Lord is a righteous day. It's a just day. It is fair. People like to accuse God of all sorts of things about not being fair and about being hateful and all that. God doesn't change. We've seen this in Malachi. He is always good, always kind, always loving, always holy, always merciful, always gracious. Here's what 2 Thessalonians 1.5 says. Evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Christians will suffer. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus, here's the day that Malachi is talking about, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, those are the arrogant and the evildoers, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Very specific. Those are the ones that will be burned on that day. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed. What you see is category 1, verse 1. It's There are a group of people that are going to be punished for their sins because they never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But verse 2 is telling us that there is something very good for believers. Peter was pointing at it. Paul was pointing at it. And basically it's this. Look at verse 2 of Malachi 4. He says, but for you, there is a group of people, those who fear his name, those who believe, those who are trusting in Jesus and not their own righteousness. He says, for you who fear my name, this beautiful word, the son of righteousness, shall rise with healing in its wings. So a beautiful picture, not of destruction, but of blessing. The the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go out leaping like calves from the stall. I love that picture of leaping like calves from the stall. Uh, A calf born in a stall, protected, fed, prepared, provided for and and you open the gate for this calf to go out into the pasture they're they're, they have not a care in the world they just skip along they're they're carefree they're joyful it's like kids at recess I, i i grew up just waiting for recess freedom for a while spring break if you're in college summer vacation where you just go, you're free, and you think for a while there's not a care in the world, and then you start to pack, right? But here, they'll be leaping like calves, no worries, all joy, no care in this world, because at that day, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You're going down the chute of the log ride. It has started. You have nothing to do with it. God's doing it. You're either in category one, about to be burned, or you are in category two, where you're blessed and, and exceedingly joyful. It's the way it's going to be at the end of time. 
And then he gets serious again. Verse 3, he says, you're going to tread down the wicked. I don't know any Bible-believing, Jesus-loving person who, who wants unbelievers to be hurt in any way. Every Christian I know wants unbelievers to come to faith in Christ. But here God is, is saying on that day, you're going to tread down the wicked. They will be like ashes under your feet. What does that mean? In those days, they would take ashes and throw them on, on rocky paths so that maybe when, when it rained, they would have sure footing. It was just ground cover. And what God is saying is the wicked will be no more. They'll be like ashes under your feet on the day when I act. God is saying, I am going to act. There will be a day. And, and the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. The, the sickness of the soul that is totally linked to our sin will be healed fully, finally. You may have been healed from a sickness that you have, that, that you, you had cancer or you had something and God healed you. Here this healing is full and final eternal healing. God is going to reconcile all things to himself. God is going to set all things right. The sun of righteousness is going to rise. The light will shine on you. And by the way, it's not that light where someone says, oh, I had a near-death experience. I saw some weird-looking light at the end of the tunnel. It was all hazy and stuff. No, we're talking about the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me talk to you about that light. Let me talk to you about that gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul is talking about their motives as believers. He says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. We should all aspire to that, to do what is right in God's sight. But here's what Paul says, verse, verse 2, 2 Corinthians 4. By the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And then he says, even if our gospel is veiled, even if it's hidden, even if people can't understand it or see it it is veiled to those who are perishing that's the arrogant and the wicked of malachi 4 1 it's veiled to those who are perishing jesus is recorded as saying as recorded in john 3 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son he's talking about himself that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life and here Paul says, the gospel is veiled, it is hidden to those who are perishing, to those in category one, to those who are destined for the fire. Verse four, he says, in, in their case, in their case as opposed to yours, believers, in their case, the God of this world, little g God, Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, get this, the light of of the gospel of the glory of Christ that's the son of righteousness rising with healing in its wings 
the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And Paul says, we don't proclaim ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord. It's not about us. He says, we are your servants for Jesus' sake. We don't have some agenda except for God's. We don't have some self-seeking reasons for what we're doing here. We're doing this for Jesus' sake, for Jesus and the gospel. And then he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you have that in your life? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face of Christ. You look to the Lord Jesus Christ, to his finished work, to his shed blood, to the cross, to his substitutionary death. And you say, I can't save myself. The only way I'm getting out of here alive, unsinged, is through the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness covered in His blood. Before I was a believer, I did not live in the fear of God. Before I was a believer, I didn't have really any expectation of judgment. I became a believer in 1982, I was almost 20 years old. I was a college student. You've heard this before. But I heard the gospel. About a year and a half before, I heard it very clearly over and over and over again. And my heart wouldn't budge. And I kept trying anything and everything to prop myself up except for the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross. Hebrews 10, verse 26 says, If you go on sinning willfully after receiving a knowledge of the truth, all that remains is a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. And there came a day in my life when I became very concerned about judgment. And I was fearful because I had an expectation of judgment. Do you know how you feel when you maybe get called into the principal's office? Maybe it's only been me. Okay. Do you know how you feel when you get a letter from the IRS and says, we need to talk or something like this? Do you, do you wonder? Do you ever, do you know how it feels to go, oh no, I, I've done something wrong and I'm going to get it. And kids, it's like, wait till your daddy comes home. There's this fearful expectation of judgment. But let me just say this. There is a day. And that day is coming. And the clock is ticking. And it's winding down. As Samuel Rutherford said, the sands of time are sinking. It's like the hourglass. And when that last grain pops through, we're done. We are done. Praise God that God, by His mercy and grace, made me aware of my sin, did a work in my heart where I would actually say, I want Jesus more than anything in my life. I yielded my life to Jesus 
everything changed. There is a day that is coming and you will either be with God or you won't. You will be destroyed and cursed or blessed and joyful. You'll be skipping like a calf out of its stall, which gives me the picture of my dog, Leela, actually. Because when I, bring, when I just hold up the leash, she just gets all frisky and she sits at the door because she knows we're going up into the hills to walk. I actually, and I bring her back into the yard and when I let her go, she's gone. She's free in the yard. She just can't wait to get back and frolic around in her little, in her little place. You will be so joyful on that day if you know Jesus and you will be so miserable and destroyed and cursed if you don't. We read Isaiah 55, 6 and 7 at the beginning today. Mark read it. And it goes like this. Seek the Lord while he may be found. See, Malachi is saying there's still time during this day that happens no more time but the the time is still ticking right so seek the lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near all through malachi we've been seeing it god's saying i love you i'm patient with you i'm merciful come come back to me he says let the wicked forsake his way don't go there anymore let the unrighteous man his thoughts don't think that anymore let him return to the Lord. Do an about face. Go towards the Lord that he may have compassion on him. People picture God in all these wrong ways and, and he's compassionate. And it says, come to our God, return to our God for he will abundantly pardon. It means the forgiveness will be full and free that it's there for you. It's there for me. It's there for all who, who call upon the Lord. So if you're in category one today, there is only one thing for you to do right now is to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Trust in the Lord Jesus. Stop trusting yourself. And, and, and surrender to him. I don't know any believer who would want anybody to perish. With all our hearts, we want you to come to faith in Christ. So God says what's going to happen, verses 1 through 3, that is what is going to happen at the end of time. When time runs out on the human race, this will happen. And then we get to verses 4 through 6. Before the day of the Lord. How to, really, how to prepare before time runs out. What it really is, is how should believers respond? What should believers do until that day? The first thing I'll point out to you is that believers should remember God's word. Look at verse 4. God says very clearly, remember the law of my servant Moses. The statutes and rules that I command him at Oreb for all Israel. Who's Malachi been talking to the whole time? All Israel. Who's been getting indicted again and again? All Israel. All of God's people. And God's saying, you haven't listened to what I've said. 
You're bringing the wrong offerings. You're bringing, you're, you're, your hearts are wrong with me. You're treating your, your families wrong. You're, you're, you're stealing from me. All these things, God's saying, you're doing the exact opposite of what I say you should do. They were esteeming their glory, their word, their thoughts, their ways higher than God's. Here he says, remember my word. It doesn't just mean that, oh yeah, check it in the memory bank and I'll put it there for future use sometime in the future. It means listen to it right now and obey what it says right now. I think one of the reasons why that's a problem for many of us is because we don't listen to God's word and we don't expose ourselves to the word of God often enough. Sunday only won't cut it. Sunday and Wednesday won't cut it. One little tiny verse a day won't cut it. You've got you to gotta know the Word of God. You want to remember the Word of God? You've got to know the Word of God. Now, here's the thing. One of my goals in life is that every believer, when they open up the Word, wouldn't just run to what they think it means. They would see what it really says and make observations on what God is actually saying, not saying, oh, I already know what this means. It makes me so sad when I hear believers say, come on, don't remind me of what's in the Bible. I want to get something new and juicy. By the way, this is going to be crispy. Uh, the day of the Lord is going to be a crispy day. It won't be, won't, <laughs> there'll be some juicy parts, but a lot, it'll be burned to a crisp, okay? And all I can tell you is you, you've got to remember God's word and you cannot remember it if you don't know it. And one verse a day won't, won't cut it because the, the clock is ticking. And if I were you, and I am me, and my goal is I want to get as much of it as I can as often as I can. I probably listened to this passage that I'm preaching today maybe 25 times this week just listening to it on my phone. That's not even that many times, but over and over again thinking it through. I almost probably memorized the whole thing just by listening to it so many times. But I wasn't just listening to it, I was thinking about it. And that's what many Christians miss. The Bible word for it is meditation on the word of God. Not emptying your mind and, you know, thinking nothing, but actually filling your mind with God's mind, uh, the mind of Christ that's revealed in Scripture. So filling your mind with the Bible and then thinking deeply about it. And it won't happen unless you press pause on your own thoughts and your own ways and your own agendas. And you can be meditating on the Word of God as you work and as you eat, as you interact with people, because the idea is you receive the Word of God like dry ground receives rain, and you let it sink down deep into your soul. So many people think that, it, it, that they take the Bible and use it and do something with it, but first they must let the Bible do something in them this is about your heart with god and your heart won't change unless you get exposed to the word of god and unless you let it sink down deep and then you meditate on the word of god when moses died who took his place tell me who took his place joshua god says in joshua chapter one he says don't be afraid be strong and courageous because presumably joshua was afraid and he was like i got big shoes to fill how am i going to do this and God said, this book of, here's how you're going to do it. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate upon it day and night. Literally, meditate means to ponder, to think about, 
to roll it around. People talk about the cow chewing its cud and bringing that up. I, I think about celery. You start chewing celery. You know when you get those sinewy pieces that just won't get chewed? And you keep chewing and chewing. You could have that all day long. But there's really no excitement with that. I really think about beef jerky. Beef jerky, turkey jerky, buffalo jerky, or my favorite, salmon jerky. You put that in your mouth. You get so much deliciousness. By the way, you know I'm Italian and I love all things garlic. So I savor things that are savory and and you chew it and you that's what you should be doing with the word of god you delight psalm 1 psalm 1 says blessed is the man who does not basically take the downward path of sin but his delight is in the law of the lord and in his law he meditates day and night and because of that he's gonna be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water so there is so much that we miss when we do not meditate on the word of god think about it deeply press pause on your thoughts your emotions your agenda that overrides so much of your life two more things and then we'll be done verse five really verses five and six behold there it is again lo and behold i will send you elijah the prophet it's very clear who this is luke says that the angel goes to Zechariah, John the Baptist's dad, before John the Baptist was ever born. And here's what he said about him. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I'm a family ministry guy, so I've used... Malachi 4, 6, so many times as application about how God, God's Spirit wants to do a work in the hearts of, of men with their children and turning their hearts towards their homes and towards their children and vice versa. And that's a great application, but it's not the meaning of this verse. The meaning of this verse goes much deeper than dr- domestic tranquility or families getting along or, or dads leading their, their home in, in, in God's Word and prayer and leading spiritually, which dad should do this is a a byproduct of something bigger the thing this verse is saying is that you should repent of your sin and the reason i know that is because the idea of turning the hearts of the fathers toward the children the children's towards the fathers the idea is going back to the ways of the lord that god has already prescribed in his word and luke gives us this clue and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to prepare people for the Lord. You must repent of your sins over and over and over again. You want to be ready for that day before time runs out? Remember God's word and repent of your sins. Elijah the prophet is clearly John the Baptist who came some 400 years later. The voice of one crying in the wilderness make, way, make straight the ways of the Lord. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus? He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He said, he must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist's agenda was all about exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, pointing people to his mercy. You know when you receive God's mercy, when he abundantly pardons you, he holds back what you deserve for your sins. Do you know that? God holds back what you and I deserve from our sins 
He holds back his wrath. It's been appeased by the blood of Christ. And then he extends to you grace. He gives you what you do not deserve. Mercy, love, forgiveness, grace, kindness. We start thinking, oh, the clock, we'll put that one on pause. Sorry, you can't. You just can't. It's God's clock. Everyone should repent and turn to God, Acts 26, 20 says, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. So I would say, as a Christian, do it now. Don't delay. Repent right now. Mercy, James says, triumphs over judgment. God gives mercy to repenters. Jesus loves repenters. And the last thing I'll mention, you see it in verse 6. You've got to remember God's word. You've got to repent of sin, but you've also got to do something else. And really, I said earlier in this series that you've got to be a Malachi, right? Be a messenger of God to people. You've also got to be like John the Baptist. What did John the Baptist do? What was his whole job? Point people to Jesus. When I was a brand new believer, someone said to me, what would you do if you could do anything? I said, tell people about Jesus. That's your job. If you're a Christian, that's your job. That's, That's your goal. So what you need to do is redeem the time. Redeem the time. That's what the forerunner was going to do, and that's what he did. See, God says he's going to turn their hearts. Wait a minute. Isn't God going to do the work? Yes. He's going to preach repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance. So this turning the hearts of the fathers, the figure of speech for repentance that comes as a result of gospel preaching. Are you with me? What if you were on the fifth floor of a building that catches fire. There's smoke billowing all over the place. You're starting to choke. There's flames everywhere. And you crawl down the hall. You get out of the building. You actually get out into the safe zone and you're like, praise God, I'm alive. And then you hear the screams. Mothers and their children, they... they, They're screaming out for someone to come and rescue them out of that same building that you just got rescued out of. You know, I don't know anybody who would say, you know, I don't know them. They're not related to me. Actually, I know someone in there and I don't like them. No, you're going to go and you're going to go back into that burning building and you're going to rescue as many souls as you can. Do you know that when there's a plane crash, you know how they report it? They say there were this many souls 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 are important to God John MacArthur said the person who desires to glorify God who wants to honor God's will and God's purposes and God's desire must then love the lost world the way God loves the lost world and give his life for the sake of winning that lost world that's the pattern God loved the lost world and sought to win it to himself for his own glory Christ came into the world, loved the lost world, and sought to win it for himself for the Father's glory. We are sent into the world to love the lost world, to seek to win the lost world for the glory of God the Father. The clock is ticking. Lord God, thank you that you are the one who's in charge of the clock. And thank you, Lord, that that your word 
gives us your agenda for us, gives us our job to do in so many different ways, in so many different settings, to so many different people. But you point us once again to the task at hand that isn't just an add-on if we have time, but is our life's work. You tell us once again, this is your priority. That we are to serve your purposes, that our eyes are to be off ourselves, that we're to forget about ourselves and our ambition, and that our mission should be to please you and to be ambassadors for Christ. Lord, may we not forget that we shouldn't care about what everybody else thinks, or even what we think, but only care what you think. And you have said there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you say, you're my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Lord, may we live out of that truth And may we point people to Jesus. Thank you in his name. Amen.